We stumbled on in the darkness, over big stones and through large puddles, along the one road running through the camp. The accompanying guards kept shouting at us and driving us with the butts of their rifles. Anyone with very sore feet supported himself on his neighbor's arm. Hardly a word was spoken. The icy wind did not encourage talk. Hiding his hand behind his upturned collar, the man marching next to me whispered suddenly, If our wives could see us now, I do hope they are better off in their camps and don't know what is happening to us. That brought thoughts of my own wife to mind. And as we stumbled on for miles, slipping on icy spots, supporting each other time and again, dragging one another on and upward, nothing was said. But we both knew. Each of us was thinking of his wife. Occasionally I looked at the sky where the stars were fading and the pink light of the morning was beginning to spread behind a dark bank of clouds. But my mind clung to my wife's image, imagining it with an uncanny acuteness. I heard her answering me, saw her smile, her frank and encouraging look, Real or not, her look then was more luminous than the sun, which was beginning to rise. A thought transfixed me. For the first time in my life, I saw the truth as it is set into song by so many poets, proclaimed as the final wisdom by so many thinkers. The truth that love is the ultimate and the highest goal to which man can aspire. Then I grasped the meaning of the greatest secret that human poetry and human thought and belief have to impart. The salvation of man is through love and in love. I understood how a man who has nothing left in this world may still know bliss, be it only for a brief moment, in the contemplation of his beloved in a position of utter desolation, when a man cannot express himself in positive action, when his only achievement may consist in enduring his sufferings in the right way, an honorable way. In such a position, man can, through loving contemplation of the image he carries of his beloved, achieve fulfillment. For the first time in my life, I was able to understand the words, the angels are lost in perpetual contemplation of an infinite glory. In front of me, a man stumbled, and those following him fell on top of him. The guard rushed over and used his whip on them all. Thus, my thoughts were interrupted for a few minutes, but soon my soul found its way back from the prisoner's existence to another world and I resumed talk with my loved one. I asked her questions, and she answered. She questioned me and returned, and I answered. <clears throat> my mind still clung to the image of my wife. A thought crossed my mind. I didn't even know if she were still alive, and I had no means of finding out. During prisoner life, there was no outgoing or incoming mail. But at that moment... It ceased to matter. There was no need to know, 
Nothing could touch the strength of my love and the thoughts of my beloved. Had I known then that my wife was dead, I think that I still would have been given myself undisturbed by that knowledge to the contemplation of that image and that my mental conversation with her would have been just as vivid and just as satisfying. Set me like a seal upon thy heart. Love is as strong as death. Well, that was Viktor Frankl writing about being marched into forced labor in a Nazi concentration camp from his book, Man's Search for Meaning. And I think if you're going to look at the nature of salvation, the right place to start is in the darkness, is in the place where we're most wanting salvation in a Nazi concentration camp to be able to contemplate one's salvation has a huge meaning. It's all, you know, fine and well to talk about salvation in, you know, a place of relative peace and, and comfort in our, in our churches, in our, in our homes. But what does it mean in the deepest, darkest aspect of life? Surely a place where the concept of salvation has real meaning is in those dark places. But, you know, traditionally, salvation has come to mean something very specific within the Christian religion. You know, are you saved? And people ask me that question, you know, when I, you know, when I get particularly, you know, evangelical people who come up to me and, you know, they say to me, are you saved? And actually, I heard a story of someone the other day who was talking about the Aspen Chapel, not real Christians. There's a whole nature of salvation which is, you know, has grown up over 2,000 years. A definition of Christian salvation, the doctrine might be, it's the deliverance by the grace of... This is the Christian doctrine. Deliverance by the grace of God from eternal punishment for sin, which is granted to those who accept by faith God's conditions of repentance and in faith in the Lord Jesus. Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So salvation is dependent on God alone for provision, assurance, and security. That is the traditional view of salvation. You know, you pray the prayer, Jesus comes into your life, and you're saved. But I'm wondering, you know, how much meaning that has really outside the context of religion. You know, the Greek word for salvation is soteria. That's the word that appears in the New Testament. And, you know, the whole concept of salvation, that word only appears twice in the New Testament. Once when he's with the Samaritan woman, when you know, he's with that, the Samaritan woman and he's talking about them worshipping in the temple and she says something, he says, Soteria, salvation comes only from the Jews. So he makes a comment on, on that. And also, um, it comes in 
is Zacchaeus, the one that went up the tree, and he invites Jesus to his house. And as Jesus walks into his house, he says, today salvation has come to this house. So there's the only two times that Jesus mentions that concept of salvation. But I will grant that he does mention the concept of being saved a number of times uh, throughout it. You know, your faith has made you whole. There's a sort of savingness about that. Your faith has saved you. And he mentions that type of saved 13 times in the New Testament. So you get a, a perspective of how many times that mentioned. Um, however, when he comes to the nature of the kingdom of heaven, he mentions that 109 times. And I think you get a sense of where the emphasis is in in the Christian gospel, you know, the idea of the kingdom of heaven. So are we right in focusing on the idea of ultimate salvation only being found in the idea of believing in Jesus? Well, you can sense the direction I'm going with this. I'm going to say probably not. But that, that is, you know, the concept that we're, you know, that we're dealing with. And it's a real issue in relation to, to you know, the Christian church. The root meaning of the word salvation uh, in English, comes from the French sauf, S-A-U-F, which means safety. So salvation, really, the, the real meaning of it is a place of safety. That's what it means in both contexts. It means a place of safety. And the reason that we've built it up theologically over 2,000 years is that it provides a place of safety from hell. That, that is the traditional Christian idea of it, that salvation in Jesus provides a place of safety from hell. If you believe in Jesus, if you follow his ways, then you'll not go to hell. And therefore, you'll find a place of safety from all of that, which really buys into the whole idea of original sin and the need for Jesus to die to placate God. That's, that's, that's what's called, in theological terms, it's what's called penal substitution which is that Jesus dies so that God's okay with us. He's the sacrifice. I've said this before, but, you know, even that is not the way it always was. Before Augustine, now we believe, you know, if you go into, if you go into a proper church, evangelical church, they will tell you that Jesus died to save you from your sins uh, so that justice can be right and, you know, he's providing a a sacrifice to God for what we've done. But actually, before Augustine, that wasn't the case. Before Augustine, the deal was with the devil. Before Augustine, Jesus... This was the belief in the church before Augustine, that Jesus had to die because it was the devil that held the, the ticket. We've been naughty with the devil, so Jesus pays the devil off. And then St. Augustine came along and said, no, original sins, it's all about that, blah, blah, blah. It's not about the devil, so we must pay God off. So right the way up to now the idea of paying God off came along. And I think now, a more modern understanding where we hold it in, you know, where I hold it, is that Jesus died not for a bargain with the devil or a bargain with God, but because it was the only way to, for him to show us how to deal with suffering. That actually when you're in, in a place of suffering, you don't complain about others. You don't blame others for that suffering. You don't transform that suffering into blame and say it's all about you lot, it's all about Muslims, it's all about whatever, gays, all about whatever it is. Instead, you take the pain and transform it yourself and, and, and have that pain turn into love. And that, 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 for me, is what the whole death of, of Jesus is about. 
So the whole, whole idea of salvation, that whole idea, is about going to heaven when we die and not going to hell. And not going to hell. Which for me doesn't say much about this life. If it's all about hell and when you die, what does it say about this life? And, you know, the truth of the matter is that I don't actually believe in hell anyway. I did think that a loving God would set up this whole thing of internal fire and damnation. It doesn't, doesn't, doesn't seem right to me. The whole, the whole concept of salvation in, in those terms seemed to be based upon some fear in the future that we're trying to avoid. Almost you know, a bargain with God. You know, it's an insurance policy. You know, get with the program here and you won't be eternally tortured in the next life. I mean, that doesn't really, I mean, when you look at the nature of divine love and oh, blah, blah, I mean, you know, it just doesn't, it seems a sort of odd rule to have in there. It doesn't fit with any of that. But, you know, in a sense, we can't sort of, this is a belief that's been held dearly for the last 2,000 years and is still held dearly today. You know, if, I, if there was a minister from some church standing there, there would be tearing, all the heresy monists would be going like this. Because it, it is held dearly, and I, you know. But I don't think it speaks to us in our day-to-day plight. Surely there, if there is a divine presence in life, it's going to provide for us with salvation now, here in our lives. It'll provide us with a place of safety here in our lives. Because that's what we need. All of us need that. You know, that's the loving action of a loving God. You know, all of us are facing in our lives the, the idea of not feeling safe. At any moment, you know, our world is going to cave in. You know, the police will knock on our door. Or there'll be a test result. Or the bank will foreclose on our home. Or a loved one will die. Or our relationship will fall apart. You know, those are the, that's, that's the place where we're living in our fear. And I could sort of go on forever about those fears. Not only for us individuals, but for humanity as a whole. You know, where is the salvation from war? Where is the salvation from hunger or global warming, from corrupt politicians and dictators? You know, where is the salvation for the poor? I mean, that is where we are fund- That's the issues that we're fundamentally dealing with. And I think that's why Pope Francis is making such a mark is because he's slowly shifting the goalposts of salvation to include these issues as well and saying it is about the life that we live here. So if, if that is the case, then, you know, how do we find that place of safety for ourselves? How do we find that? Well, I mentioned a reading from the Bhagavad Gita, and I happen to be, I'm reading at the moment, so you'll get a bit of it while I'm reading it. And it says there are four kinds of virtuous people. There's the man in distress, the man who seeks power, the man who seeks wisdom, and the sage. They're the four types. The man, who seeks, the man in distress, the man who seeks power, the man who seeks wisdom, and the sage. They are the four types of virtuous people. And all these four, except the sage, are seeking some kind of salvation. They're all seeking some kind of salvation. Help me, for I am lost. 
someone in distress. Help me, because I want to help others, the man seeking wisdom. Help me, so I can be wise. And the noblest of all, the sage, he is untroubled because he is living in a place of safety. He, the sage is untroubled by anything. He's living in that place of safety. She dwells in the place of safety, so she has no need to seek it. The sage. You know, I put that quote from Psalm 62 uh, on your service sheet, and the whole psalm speaks about the nature of salvation. And funnily enough, it doesn't mention hell. It says, truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly he is my rock, my salvation, my fortress. I will never be forsaken. Yes, my soul finds rest in God. My hope comes from him. He is my rock, my salvation, my fortress. I will not be forsaken. This whole idea of being in God as the place of salvation, entering the kingdom of heaven as the place, that is the place of salvation. That is how we enter into that. That is where, how we create our place of safety. I, I mentioned this before. Meister Eckhart always says, you know, the man who is seeking God and seeking to do the will of God is not within the love of God. The man who is in the love of God is just in the love of God, living in that love. He is not seeking it or wanting it. We enter into that love, and that is the place of safety. You know, we know why Jesus mentions the kingdom of heaven 109 times and the concept of salvation only 13 times. The place of safety is in the heart of God. And as God is love, we can rest in that love. Like those words from Viktor Frankl, the salvation of man is through love and in love. That, That is a man who is in a concentration camp talking about salvation. I understood how a man who has nothing left in this world may still know bliss, be it only for a brief moment, in the contemplation of his beloved, in the contemplation of God. You know, the Song of Songs talks about the beloved. It talks about the relationship with the loved one. But it is a a story about the relationship with God. In a position of utter desolation, when a man cannot express himself in positive action, when his only achievement may consist in enduring his sufferings in the right way, surely this is hell. Surely this is hell. In such a position, a man can, through loving contemplation of an image he carries of his beloved, achieve fulfillment, achieve salvation. For the first time in my life, I could understand the words, the angels are lost in perpetual contemplation of infinite glory. We find that salvation in the love in the eternal love, in the moment. And that love, Viktor Frankl asserts, is as strong as death. And so this love he speaks of overcomes even death. And we're back to that Easter theme of the resurrection. And surely this is, that is true salvation. That is really what the concept of salvation means, you know. Jesus' contribution in history I think, is to identify with the love of God on a personal basis. Up to then, it was all out there. It, it was all, you know, in a cloud almost, but out there. And, you know, the, the, the contribution Jesus makes, he, he says, I am the Son of God. He says, I have that love of God within me. And he was talking to us, and and actually saying, you have that love of God within me. He was 
identifying that love of God on a personal basis and giving an opportunity for that personal beloved to be within one. And that is a huge shift in the history of religion. Up to then, God was out there. He said, I am that. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am. My identity is the way, the truth, and the life. Not me, Jesus, being God. You know, it's not me. It's God, the love, the entrance to the kingdom of heaven. That's the way. And the only way to achieve eternal life is through the identity in God, through the love of God. So how do, how do we attain that? I think even the, you know, even the word attain is sort of so Western, isn't it? How do I get enlightenment? How do I attain the love of God? I mean, you know, the moment you say that, you put yourself outside it. It is, you know... It is about being born again. Here we are. I'm going to, here we are. Back to proper preaching. It is about being born again. It's about being saved. It's about, that's the salvation. You know, some are born saved, some achieve, some are born saved, some achieve salvation, some have salvation thrust upon them. And there is a process to go through. And that process is the process of living in love. And all of us have to find that place of salvation that's in our lives. The other wonderful psalm, 91, that says, whoever dwells in the shadow of the Most High, he, the Lord will say, he is my place of safety and my fortress. In him will I trust. It is in the love of God. And that is what we're looking for, that place of safety. Now, in, in, the, in the traditional sense, I don't want to do away with all the other stuff, like praying the prayer and all that stuff, because I think it's important to open our hearts. I remember, you know, my story, what happened to me in relationship to that is that I'd made a decision that I wanted to be, you know, professional God person. <laughs> you know, I'd made that decision. I looked around and I thought, well, I don't want to be, you know, I, I could never change my name to Prem Anan something or other. You know, that wouldn't have worked. Or, you know, a yellow was never my colour. <laughs> you know, it was a winter, so that wasn't going to work. And so, and so I decided, you know, that, I, that the only place where you can talk about God and not be stupid, considered bonkers was the church. You know, in England, if you're, you're church in the vicar, they don't, you talk about God, they don't say, well, you're mad. If you talk about anything else, they look at you, you know, askew. And so I was basically uh, saying to everybody, you know, that uh, I, I went, I, I therefore, what happens, I literally went down to my local church. I hadn't been in a church, it's like 20 years. I went down to my local church and went and saw the vicar and said, um, hi, my name is Nicholas, I'd like to be ordained, you know. <laughs> so he, he took, luckily I managed to persuade him that it was an okay idea. And, uh, and I got involved in the church and all that sort of business. And, uh, you know, church is full of sort of events. And, you know, I was at one of their drinks parties once. And, uh, and this woman, who she, she's dressed in sort of like fur and pearls and all that sort of issue, she, she, she said, what do you do? And I said, well, I, I'm thinking of being ordained. And she looked at me and she said, have you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour? So I thought about it. I said, no, I don't think I have, actually. <laughs> And she was wonderful. She gave me a great deal of space. She didn't sort of like, sort of, oh, you know, she didn't pile in. But I, but I thought about this. I thought about what, you know, what that meant. And, and I had a good meditation practice at the time. I, I've had a meditation for ages. I had a good meditation practice, so I thought I'd give it a go. So I got into my meditation practice, and I did one of those, you know, is anybody out there prayers? You know, I said, Look, if you're out there, yeah, come into my life. And do you know... I had an experience. And it, it's a bit like, you know, that the, the overwhelming experience that I had in a moment was suddenly I was not alone. 
And it's a bit like, you know, your desktop computer. And you know you have all those icons on a computer. You know when you download something onto your thing, a new icon appears in your desktop. And it was almost like an, an icon had appeared on my desk. I, I definitely had an experience. And this great sense of joy came up and, you know, the feeling of, uh, of being, you know, alongside, you know. And I thought, well, this is it. And then I had another embarrassing experience after that of realizing that my whole spiritual life had never been about anybody but myself. I'd never really thought about anybody else. It was all about my enlightenment and, and how my satisfaction was. And I, I sort of went into the experience of, of shame and, and you know, uh, I was upset by that. And being myself, my mind very quickly worked. And I, I thought, well, I'm kosher as a Christian now because I'd invited Christ into my life and had an experience of And I'd repented because I'd experienced shame because I'd never served anybody myself. And really, I'd gone through a... Uh, a sort of, you know, a, a little experience. And for me, you know, doing that, inviting a spirit in, shifted an experience in my life. And up to that, it, it moved me into somewhere where I actually could serve. So I wouldn't rubbish the idea of, of inviting that spiritual presence into one's life. And I think sometimes it can really help in terms of moving things along. But it's not all of it. It's not all of it. You know, opening your heart to the possibility of receiving that kingdom of heaven is just a part of it. But then we have to live in that place. We have to live in that love. To know that we're safe, that we live in that place of safety is something more than that. And it's not just about, you know, a done deal. You know, I've given my life to the Lord and therefore I'm saved. I'm not going to hell. Are you, you know, bonkers. Total tosh, as we say in England. You know, it's, it's about entering into that place of love. You know, it's about entering through the narrow gate. You know, Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate for the wide gate. For, the, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only few will find it. And I think he's talking about this life. You know, we do see people going through the broad gate. And it's different to go through the narrow gate, to follow that path of love, beginning to find salvation. And then there's two commandments. You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That is the commandment. It is to love. God is love, and therefore when we become love, we become as God. And by living in love... We enter into the kingdom of heaven. That is salvation, to live in love, to enter into the kingdom of salvation. And we find that place of safety when we enter into that love. We find that serenity, not being subject to our desires, as we spoke about last week, or the outcomes of our life, or our mind, not being attached to them. I always think it's like being a planet. You know, you're a planet here, and you've got all the planets that are going round you, you know, in orbit, which are all your issues and stuff and all that stuff that's going. And what we do is we, we can live like that with everything orbiting around us and just being aware. Or we suddenly attach ourselves, you know, some rope thrown out, and we attach ourselves to some issue or planet, and then suddenly we're dragged by that thing. You know, we become subject to it. Our life becomes, we're thrown around by this issue and subject. Because we're so attached to it. And we're asked just to let go of that. 
not to attach ourselves to our issues, our outcomes, our desires, but to allow ourselves to exist in the safety of our own orbit, being in relationship to that which is around us. And that peace is the peace that passes understanding, the peace of serenity and safety. That is salvation. That is the place of salvation. And all of it, it is not about hell, except hell on here. It is about entering into that place now. When we're there, in that place of salvation, nothing can touch us. Even in our agonies, we're sustained. That wonderful word from James Finley, who says, God protects us from nothing and sustains us in all things. We still have our things that come to us. He protects us from nothing but sustains us in all things. And that is the nature of salvation. You know, Viktor Frankl wasn't protected when he walked into that concentration camp, but he was sustained. And to reach it, you have to open your hearts and ask for it. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks will receive. She who seeks finds, and to him that knocks, the door will be open. To enter into salvation is to become love. And in doing so, we provide safety and love for others. And that love grows as we invest in it. The kingdom of heaven is like, I'm on the last paragraph. I know some of you think, when's he going to stop? Last paragraph. (laughs) The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed that you can plant in the ground. Yet when planted, it becomes larger than all the garden plants with such branches that birds of the air can find and perch in it. It becomes a place of safety. Salvation is something that grows in you. It is built around you and through you. And your intention to live in the love of God manifests through your practice, through the way you treat others, through the way that you live your life. And gradually you realize that you are saved, that nothing can come near you, and that love will take you through, even unto that last great adventure, which is death. Let's pray. We pray that we may live in the love of the divine. We pray that our hearts may be open, our minds open, that we may not be attached to our desires, to our outcomes, to our thoughts, but that love may sustain us. We pray for those in our community who are suffering at the moment, that they may be released, particularly Patricia Hill, Lucy Crichton, Barbara Orchard, who we be praying for, David's relation, who is in remission. Paula Johnson, Georgina Ortiz, Will Welsh, who's had a serious head injury. Philip Hodgson's a long-time helper in the chapel who suffered a stroke. The Guylander family, whose grandfather, Frank, died last week. Kim Rogers, who suffered a broken leg. And Critchell Bryce, who is in constant head pain at the moment. Pray for all these people and send our love to them. Pray for our community, our town, that we may provide here at the Aspen Chapel a place of salvation. Amen.